Hello, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Benjamin Kitchings, and welcome to the History of Voyager. As I've always said, there are a zillion podcasts out there. Thank you very, very much for listening to mine. I love talking to new podcasters. I love that a lot. This is a man named Eric McLaren. He does a podcast called Religious Wars. His first series, a three-parter, is called The Hammer of Hanukkah, where he covers the Maccabee clan in basically ancient Palestine slash Israel. It was so fascinating. Very interesting show. And I'm not a religious person per se, but oh my God, this this show was so cool. It reminds me a lot of how Dan Carlin can tell a story um, that is so fascinating and interesting. And you just want to stop what you're doing and listen to it. And I I really love um, this moment in time where we can basically have these independent creators and basically educate people about about the world in which we live and and talk about you know things going on either in history or, or real life um the one thing i i do want to talk about though is this show i'm going to say is rated not safe for work um nothing uh too serious but you know if you're listening to this with children or in an office maybe maybe you want to listen to this a little later on um uh, by yourself or, or whatever. Um, anyway, um, yeah, this is a was a really good show, and um, I'm gonna have some more good shows coming out pretty soon. Um, all right, everybody. Uh, like I always say, I'm having a great day, and I hope you are too. And I'll see you later. Okay, bye. Hello, everybody. This is Ben Kitchings of the History Voyager podcast. I'm here with Eric McLaren of Religious Wars Podcast, and he's got a new podcast, and I want you guys to hear it. It's amazing. Eric, tell me about it. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, So the show is called Religious Wars. Uh, The idea is I'm looking at uh, all history, really, but contextualizing everything through conflicts and faith. So, you know, religious wars. Um, we, like you said, we're new, we're a new show. So we only have one series out right now. That series is called the hammer of Hanukkah. Uh, and it's a straight up religious war. It's war about religious persecution. Uh, it's Judah Maccabee and the Maccabees. Um, you know, yeah, it's a story of Hanukkah, but, uh, I'm taking out kind of all of the, religiosity from it telling it from a secular perspective the thing i like about it honestly like the thing i think well this is cool is like you're saying you take out the religiosity but it's also it feels like something i can walk around and listen to and can exercise with but also learn something like i had to remember the maccabees first of all Mm. and when I remembered them, it's all like religion. It's not all like, oh, these guys. Well, tell us who they were first off. Well, okay, yeah, that's uh, that's complicated right away, right? Because in a lot of the Jewish traditions that like you grow up with, or even Christian traditions about the Maccabees, it's kind of cartoony, uh, 
standing up for religious freedom, being persecuted by the big empire. It's all very biblical stuff, right? But uh, the Maccabees, where I kind of come at it differently, is just try and look at, other than the main two sources for this story, the first and second books of Maccabees, what else was around at that time and like what can we really know? So we do know that the Maccabees were a group of Jewish people in Jerusalem who were being persecuted by the Seleucid Empire. The story is that the Seleucids were forcing them to do sacrifice pigs and all this other stuff that Jews, of course, would have found very offensive. But uh, mm. the Maccabees were the most uncompromising, most violent group of resistors and eventually became the largest group of resistors and the most successful against the Seleucids. And eventually went on to uh, achieve dependence in Judea and Jerusalem, which, you know, big deal for, like, history yeah. up to this point. You know, I think Israel as a body politic is big in every country in the world to some degree, you know. You made the point. You made the point, I think. It, so it's a three-episode uh, podcast. But you made the point in episode three that had this war gone down differently, our history would be different. Like, the whole world's history would somewhat be different. Yeah, I de like, uh, it's one of those things where you never know what kind of butterfly effect can happen if one domino were to fall differently, historically speaking. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's not always productive to play that game, but the Maccabees took control of the Holy Land, and this is before Islam, this is before Christianity, and it's hard to imagine either of those faiths happening the way they ended up unfolding if you don't have the Jewish tradition where it is when those two faiths start, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, like, history would be different for sure, but it's almost impossible to know interpret how different it would be. Uh, because it could be different just in that, uh, you know, modern Jewish people's relationship to the Holy Land would be a bit different, I think. And that's kind of all that changes, which would be a pretty significant change. Or it could be mm -hmm. that, you know, three to five billion people on planet Earth, uh, their lives are completely different because, you know, their gods are different. Uh, so it's a fascinating story in that way where it has a lot of. A lot of implications, yeah. but it's also not directly tied to anything. It's strange. Well, it, it's, you know, I mean, so, like, the idea of Judeo-Christian whatever, I think you could say is an artificial idea, but it's also, like, an idea, right? So it's, it's sort of like, there's a Western society, which, you know, the Seleucids are not part of. Mm. <laughs> well, I, that's uh, that's what the I mean, the Seleucid Hellenistic tradition is as Western as Judeo-Christianity is. But there are two forces uh, in conflict here. Right. It's it's like we go. uh Certainly Judeo-Christianity as an idea is like a, a Roosevelt thing, I'm pretty sure. Uh, as like yeah. a, a reaction in opposition to Nazism, right? But the idea that the Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, and Islam they call the people of the book, right? Uh, mm. 
so I certainly think that there's a connection between the Christians of like the early Christians and even especially medieval Christians and Judah, because we know that because medieval Christians wrote about Judah all the time. They loved Judah and the Maccabees. Uh, they had this idea that because Judah wasn't around for the birth of Christ, he's absolved from his sins and they, they pretty sure he would have been a Christian if Jesus were around, you know, this is kind of offensive uh, doctrinally for some Jewish people, but uh, like the, it's definitely, it's again, what I was saying earlier, it's, there's this deep connection to the modern world and modern Christianity and modern Judaism, but at the same time, it's so completely foreign and so hard to wrap your mind around uh, as someone coming from it, from a, you know, later Judeo-Christian, whatever you want to call it, perspective. The thing I like about the way you do it is you do make it relatable. I mean, you absolutely, because you're right. I mean, history, like, so one of the things that I learned about in history was you don't have to go back too far in history, relatively speaking, before the motivations of people get really different. Mm. And here you were, like, you made it relatable to me. Like, you made that the whole situation relatable to me, this guy in America, mm. you know, this guy in the U.S. But I love this moment. Like, I love how you can have these podcasts and, you know, get this history education, like, just out of your phone while you're doing stuff. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, I certainly appreciate uh the moment to uh, talk about history, right? Like, I, I feel a little uneasy saying teaching history or whatever because I'm not a historian, uh, not at all trained as as a historian. But um, yeah. I get like I, I and like that's important. Like I think of it, think of them as stories uh, more than like a historical taking thing apart. So like taking something apart historically. So like being able to share these stories and have people you know, learn or consume them or however you want to phrase it. Definitely, uh, definitely something I'm grateful for right now. And, uh, yeah, historically Uh, unique. Well, I mean, it took a plague for us to, I mean, I forget the statistic, but there was a lot of podcasts, including mine that started Mm. during, during COVID. So, I mean, there's a lot of introspection that happens during a plague. There's a lot of, um, you know, and plus, I mean, the 2010s weren't exactly placid. I mean, mm. <laughs> you know, not at all. But, um, how did you get into podcasting? Um, well, so I was a journalist for a long time, uh, starting in about 2013, I guess. Um, so I'd kind of been around the media landscape when podcasts mm-hmm. were first really starting to pop off with cereal and stuff like that. So I've been aware of the milieu for a while. Uh, like, obviously, I don't know if you know or anybody in the audience would know Hardcore History, but a uh, huge podcast yep. that I absolutely love. And I'm sure some of those influences are obvious if you're uh, if you've listened to my show. Um, but yeah, and then from there, like you said, beginning of the pandemic, uh, I had a whole lot of time uh 
So I retreated into the warm womb of history, just did a lot of reading and uh, reading, listening to podcasts, and then just kind of thought, this is this could something I could do. I think it'd be kind of fun. And I, you know, I do have my perspective, I think, coming at things from, like, the show Religious Wars. Uh, I have, for a long time, like, I was one of those... Uh, one of those angry atheists as a teenager um and matured out of that chilled out a little bit still am not a believer but uh i like developed a deep like i was obsessed with religion in a way that only fundamentalists are you know and uh, i even though i didn't believe in it, it but yeah. i uh i kind of channeled that rage into something a little bit more appreciative of these stories and kind of Learn what yeah. they are and how they tick. So that's so been. Me, mm. I'm sorry, I forgot to ask, or maybe I. How did you settle on the Maccabees? Uh, well, I have uh, I have a few series in mind, and I decided to do the Maccabees first for uh, a few different reasons. One, I thought they were freshest in my head, which they were not. I had to do a lot of work to get caught up on it. Uh. <laughs> But, uh, I just, it's a story that I think is, like, a lot of people would have heard of Judah Maccabee, um, and maybe not even, but it's a story that's well known, but not understood. And I just wanted to kind of add my understanding to the zeitgeist as much as possible, anyway. And what would you say that is not understood about? The Maccabees. Like, what would you say people might not understand about the Maccabees? Uh, the brutal violence, a lot of it. Uh, but like that and just the Mm. world they were in. Because again, like a lot of the cultural retellings of the Maccabees story focus a lot more on the politics of who's high priest and stuff like that, which I more or less ignore because I don't think it's that important really. Uh, for Mm. the, the for how the story actually unfolded you know i think a lot of that had to do with instead of who betrayed who and who went to the gymnasium and who didn't and stuff like that i think it was probably who won and who lost what battle and stuff right and who could put men in the field and who couldn't uh that's where like the mcafee's genius was compared to any other resistance that most like ancient empires would have run up against is they were extremely successful because they were hyper violent but then also extremely dedicated and and instead of it being this story that's ordained by god that's always going to end up this way the maccabees were a special group uh Mm. there's nothing inevitable about the maccabees you know so okay before the seleucid i mean before they decided to rise up against the seleucids or whatever who were the maccabees like what how did they get situated so the uh maccabees is just a family name uh and it's not not even a family name it's a name a nickname for judah but it ended up describing their whole family and the revolt but uh judah and the what would go on to be the maccabees are just regular jewish people in jerusalem citizens of the seleucid empire at that point kind of going about their their lives but then when the the Seleucid state wanted to Hellenize all of the barbarous regions around it, make them all be a bit more Greek, make everything a bit easier to administer. You could almost call it kind of like a 
um, an assimilation campaign, you know. Uh, and the Maccabees just res- did not respond well to that. Uh, and that's the story at the beginning of the podcast. It was Judah's father who really kicked the thing off because it got to the point where the Seleucids were sending out representatives saying, like, to make sure people were doing sacrifices properly and maintaining the religious rights of the day. Uh, Judah's father, Matthias, was a priest, and the representative of the king asked him, you know, we all know you're a good guy. Do the sacrifices as the king wants you to, and he says, no, stabs that man, and that kind of ignites the violence anyway. Gets us kicked off. Gets us kicked off. Right. Um, the assassination of Franz, uh, you know, Franz Ferdinand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what was, okay, so what was, when you were doing your research about that area, what was the thing that stuck out to you geopolitically? Like, what was the thing that you didn't really realize or, or whatever? Uh, what's interesting, I think, for any Western reader, uh, almost, uh, honestly, any modern reader of this story is mm. how unimportant Jerusalem is. It's obviously very important to the Maccabees. It's the end of the world to the Maccabees. But for everybody else, it's such an insignificant little speck of dust that's only mm. useful for the, you know, the utility of the people on it as slaves or whatever they can mm. produce. Um, mm. Mm. And you're just like any other, any source you read that isn't or anybody's actions you interpret that aren't directly biblical characters it's pretty shocking how little they care about this place <laughs> uh, and how, you know, in the second episode of uh, the hammer of Hanukkah, they're willing to make all these, they're willing to do all these negotiations and concessions with the Maccabees who have been this horrible force from their perspective. who have been uh, just destroying their stuff as far as they're concerned. Right. But, uh, Mm. But they're still willing to do all these concessions because it's it's not worth another another army, another cache of weapons, etc. And I mean, like certainly in the modern world, uh, that's not an attitude we have about the <laughs> uh, you know the Middle East or this part of the Middle East. Well, I mean, why do you think um, so? Jerusalem was basically insignificant, but. Who were the other people that weren't biblical? Like, who would have interfaced with Jerusalem historically that weren't necessarily biblical? Um, so in the area, era, era that my story takes place in, uh, uh, I mean, they're all a bit biblical because it's Egypt and, uh, you uh, know, Syria. That's all places that appear in the Bible. But uh, Jerusalem and Judea were kind of on a poker chip. Between uh, between the empires of Alexander, so Alexander dies, his empire gets split into four pieces, and uh, Judea is kind of directly in between the Seleucid Empire and the Ptolemaic Egyptian Empire. So from these two, like if you read, I like I'm unaware, I'm not, I don't know too much about Ptolemaic Egypt, but uh, so Seleucia and uh, Egypt are kind of going 
to war with at war with one another all the time and then they use this piece of land with the nascent Jewish population on it as a poker chip between one another. Um, it's land mm. that exchanges hands a lot. And just by being like by being the by being land that changes hand a lot but isn't necessarily exceptionally prosperous, you can infer from that that it's not super important to anybody, right? Except the people who live on it. Well, I mean, in, in everybody has a unique connection to where they live, and especially in this time period, the mm. gods were usually very local, and kind of mm. each city mm. had a god that saw over it. But the Jews mm. are uh, a bit unique, historically speaking, in uh, Israel, because they get to go back <laughs> after exile. Um, and uh, and also just mm. culturally, the people who would go on to become Jews anyway from the various expulsions of the Jewish population maintain this deep, deep connection to the Holy Land that mm. I mean, exists as we speak now. Uh, mm. So, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird, uh, there's a historical dichotomy that the places that are fighting, that have any power over this region, that don't care about it at all, do not see it as special in any way, whereas the people who live there see it as special in a way that's historically unique to people and place, you know? Do you think... I had a podcast guest by the name of Dan Toller, and he did this uh, series on his podcast where he did the Ark of the Covenant, but from the perspective of the Ethiopians. Mm. Do you think if you did this uh, this podcast from the perspective of the Seleucids, it would be, how different would it be, I suppose? It's hard to say, uh, because there's so much going on in the Seleucid Empire at the time of this story that, if I was trying to tell this story from, okay, so the, the, the leader of the Seleucid Empire who cracks down on the Jewish faith first is a guy called Antonacus Epiphanes. And if I were to tell it from his perspective, well, he barely deals with the problem at all. We're, it's almost kind of unclear how aware he is of it early on. Um, and then eventually he goes to fight off somewhere else and dies. So, and, 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 and he, we knew at that point he would have been aware of the Maccabees and his regent, uh, a guy called Lysias, would have been aware of the Maccabees, obviously. He did a lot of dealing with them and fighting and stuff, but he would have done a lot of that anyway. Uh, so it's tough to say how much uh, the Seleucids really would have thought about this situation at all. We do know that Greeks and Egyptians and everybody else had a lot to say about Jews at the time. Um, who dealt with them because Jews were very strange to polytheists. Uh, Why? Uh, so the Jews were monotheists. Um, mm -hmm. And as much as there was a lot of diversity among religious populations of all types in, you know, late Hellenistic Mesopotamia, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the idea of monotheism and then all other gods being false uh, was offensive and off-putting to most Greeks. They didn't 
didn't like Juice for that reason. And then also, uh, Juice just had a lot of practices, some of which survived, some don't. Um, but like not eating pork would have been seen as strange. Uh, keeping kosher, all of these little rules that a lot of ancient people would have thought were just absolutely ridiculous when they ran into them. Even stuff like, uh, like, uh, being disgusted by homosexuality as the Jews were at the time. And the Greeks certainly wouldn't have been, they would have found that to be strange. Uh, monogamy yeah. even. There's a lot of stuff that the Greeks about like, look at this weird group of barbarians. Um, that would have been right. the, the, uh, the deal, like how they would have thought about the Jews, but I don't know like how important they would have found their uprising to be, uh, even until it was successful, you know? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that that we Westerners, or we, I guess, on the other side of the Victorians, that we kind of lose sight of, is the Romans and the Greeks really did have a different way of, of examining the world than mm. than the Jews do, or than, than we did, than we do even. I mean, like, they didn't even have, like, the Romans didn't even have a, they're con- they didn't have a concept of uh, shame the way, you know, we do. Because you look at the public baths and the, the co-educational bathrooms, et cetera. Um, you know, the bathhouses, that kind of thing. Mm, uh, yeah, definitely. And I mean, uh, it's something I didn't uh, cover in The Hammer of Hanukkah, but if you go find many popular retellings of the Maccabees story. They include a kind of long, kind of boring uh, story that is all about um, a gymnasium going up in Jerusalem, which all the Jews, well, the, not all the Jews, many of the Jews were very upset about. And why were they so upset? Well, because you got to get naked. Uh, you got to get naked mm-hmm. to go in there mm-hmm. and do your, do your stuff. And you got to do that in front of other men. And it's disgusting we, and an abomination. Yeah. So why don't we, take a moment to say that I'm rated not safe for work. And then we just need to take, <laughs> so a gymnasium is what exactly after we say I'm not safe for work? Um, uh, yeah, gymnasium, it's history. Is it? <laughs> uh, uh, it was just uh, where Greeks would go to socialize, exercise, uh, a lot it of, it was all done. It was all done naked. And, and they, they had, uh, yeah, they had a little covering for the uh, now. Now we're going to get not safe for work a little bit, uh, but they had a covering for the head of the phallus or the penis, if you will. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was that was the shameful part because you didn't want anybody to see. But Jews felt differently. Uh, they kind of mm-hmm. the whole body should be, you know, concealed. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I forgot to tell you. Um, we were talking off air about podcasting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to pull back the curtain a little bit. Uh, I discovered really early on when you start interviewing other people, uh, you need to be rated not safe for work. So mm-hmm. I, I don't notice any difference in my audience due to my not safe for work rating. So Yeah, I didn't say. put my show as uh, yeah. not safe yeah. for work, but then I also talk about circumcising people with sharp rocks, so maybe I should have. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> I come into every episode 
realizing that some people use the F word as a comma. Mm. <laughs> That's definitely true. You know. Just saying. So, I mean, when I was, when I had gone back to college, I had run into this um, topic that I found fascinating, which I still do to this day, endlessly fascinating to me, how there was a, a culture that essentially is very alien to us, but is also... Like, it just saw human beings as different, completely different from how we do. Totally different. Mm. And I think the macro, I think what you're talking about touches on that a little bit, because you talk about how the the Jewish people, or even what we want to call the proto-Jews, right, were were very different from the people around them. Like, very, very different from the people around them. And I found that endlessly fascinating still do to this day um Uh, for jews in particular i mean i think a lot of it just stems from the more more so than the jewish population and their attitudes but the religions that would spur off of judaism and how popular those are but like the idea of even something as basic as uh nobility and defeat um like the jews being cast away from the Holy Land was would have broken many religions, but the Jews kind of said that the interpreted it all of it as God's plan and that their suffering was noble and somehow justified. Whereas for Greeks and Romans, if you lost, it's because you were weak and deserved to lose. There's no you you're you got expelled because you couldn't protect yourself. You know why this happened? Because my God is a great God and your God is nothing. That you deserve this. This has been ordered by the heavens. Um, whereas the Jews kind of selfishly and arrogantly took a different religious, uh, explanation for their surroundings that mm. has stuck with us to, I'd argue, I'd argue it's a good thing that it stuck with us and we don't have a Greco Roman attitude towards conquest anymore. But, uh, and then again, like, that's the that's the tradition that's come down to us, but the Maccabees that we're talking about, certainly not really their attitude toward defeat. <laughs> you know, they, they don't like martyrs. They they want to win. They right. They're not interested in dying. Well, right, exactly. And I think you you go into that in great detail, and I forget the... So it's a three... I say this, but it's a three-episode arc. Uh, I forget the episode you did this, but there was one episode where you went into great detail about how these people were all about, you know, it's okay to lose, and Judah Maccabee wasn't. Like, he was very not okay with losing. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, that's, so the Maccabees, too, one of the reasons they're not especially well-known in the way that, say, like Noah or something like that is, um, are because they're not canon in a lot of Christian traditions, or even the Jewish tradition, uh, they're holy. It's a, the term in the Jewish tradition is a Jewish book, which is more technical than it sounds. But uh, I think a big part of that is they don't really fit into the grand narrative of the Torah and even the Bible. They're kind of outside the Jewish tradition of nobility and defeat. Uh, and even yeah. their attitude, I mentioned earlier, their attitude toward martyrs in the rest of the Bible, 
and even in other books of Maccabees, martyrs are some of the holiest of the holy. And I mean, think about saints and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. for Judah, if you're dead, you're useless. You're not you're not doing anything for the cause if you die. They even uh, refuse. They fight on the Sabbath, which many Jews at the time refused to and just get killed. But what good is that? Uh, would be Judah's argument, which is again uh, not complete, like not in step with a lot of more modern and even at the time how a lot of Jews were behaved um, under attack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know it, it. The way and I, the way I really applaud you for this is how you. It's hard and tempting. It's very tempting to look at history through a, uh, I'm going to use a grad school word here, a teleological lens. Mm. Like it's very, very tempting to say, this is where I am. And if I go back, that's where back was. And it was inevitable that that these two (laughs) dots are connected. Right. Mm. But that's not the case at all. Yeah, it's it's and much messier than that. You do a very good job of going through all the spaghetti movement, like all the wet noodle, what I call wet noodle spaghetti movements, how these dots connect. Right. Uh, thank you. Uh, I think Ooh, part of that, of that. I think part of that uh, may just be uh, not to uh, completely sidestep your compliment, but. Uh, Part of that, I think, is I'm I'm focused on this story, how it makes sense to me, rather than all of the historical details and motivations and stuff like that. And the way that uh, a lot of Jewish scholars will write about this story, and I can barely read it uh, because it's so in the woods about side characters and how they affected other people who affected the main characters. And there's it's, you know. Everything's kind of on top of itself, uh, and I'm trying to pierce through that as best I can. Do you think, now, I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, Do you think the reason you do that so well and the reason Dan Carlin does that so well, and there's another guy, I'm going to shout out, same guy, Dan Toller. The the reason the three of you do, do this very well is because we have come up in a very fluid time where you can be around and just notice, oh, I can see where the train's going, but the train could have gone this way. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of it has to do with just the av- availability of historical literature. Um, yeah. Because 25, 30 years ago, it would have been a lot harder to come across really good information about a lot of stuff. Um, right. And if you don't have information, if you don't have like a complete set of facts you're looking at, then everything does, you know, it's the trails already there. Uh, so you, so you don't necessarily even think it's, cause I, I kind of do, I kind of do think it's also, you're right that we have an abundance of, of resources, historically speaking. But we also live in very fluid times. Yeah, that honestly, that yeah. also yeah. the uncertainty of our own times, in that the future is so unclear yeah. in a way that it hasn't been 
forever. You know, yeah, well, I mean, especially, like, you know, I'm 30, so, like, in my lifetime, yeah, I was Francis Fukuyama, I was born at the end of history sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but I, so, like, in that, you know, from 91 or the fall of the Soviet Union onward, the uh, mm. erasure of our own future might make it a bit easier to look back at the past and uh, interpret a bit more of that uncertainty. It's so... You just mentioned Francis Fukuyama. Did you? Uh, you might have listened to the episode where I talked about that. Um, but it's so interesting to think back and to how certain people like that were. If you take what they were saying at face value, that the history was going to go a certain way. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's in the context of my show, right? There are still. Mm-hmm. Many, many people who are uh, dead certain of where things are going to go, right? Uh, Christians, Jews, Muslims have a very clear idea mm-hmm. of where things are going. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, depending on their yeah. attitudes, they'll, they'll let you know all about it if you ask. <laughs> right. I think, uh, I think religion provides certainty for people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, uh, that's part of, like, studying history and loving history in the way I do. Um, I don't think you can understand history at all if you don't understand religion somewhat. Um, because no matter how different, you know, Islam is from some ancient cult or Christianity is from Islam or Judaism or another cult, uh, there's a through line of certainty and magic for lack of a better word like the supernatural mm. that all throughout history everybody's kind of implicitly understood in a, in a way i'd argue that like you know we were talking earlier about uh, nobility and defeat and even like christian ideas of charity and stuff like that being unintuitive concepts to humans that feel so ingrained in us because we've grown up with those traditions uh religion might is is like the oldest, most ancient impulse. I think you could make a case it's the beginnings of civilization and humanity in a lot of ways. Uh, the idea of something greater than this moment, this material world, uh, is, has been on the minds of everybody throughout history. And they do unbelievable things to kind of satiate uh, whatever urges they feel toward the great beyond. And like in, in history, uh, that's most people, most people's motivations are religious rather than material or for romantic love or whatever. Uh, so it's, it's exactly tough to true, say, yeah. it's tough to say that religion provides any one thing for any one person because it's, it's, it's a giant institution that people interact with in all different ways. And like, putting together what is common among different religions or even common among different people in the same religion is impossible, but also very obvious. And also maybe they wouldn't think of it as common. Maybe it's like the old adage about like the fish and salt water, you know, like the fish is the last thing in the world to discover salt water. Oh yeah. 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 So, um, 
tell me about, so now that you've tackled the Maccabees, what else are you going to tackle as far as religion wars? Um, I've got a few ideas, uh, in the can, or well, not in the can, in the, in the noggin, rattling around anyway. Uh, I, yeah. I'm a little worried because, uh, I'm going to cover, for my next series, I'm, uh, are you familiar with Alexander of Abonotatius? No, but I can't wait to hear about it. <laughs> uh, so he started a cult in ancient Rome, uh, but the oh, wow. one, 160s uh with a, a snake a snake god named glycon and the mm-hmm. story of this guy alexander of abonotatius has been relayed to us through one of the most famous ancient roman authors named lucian uh, lucian tells this big long story of his alexander of abonotatius's life and how he did all these tricks to make people believe that he was a prophet. Uh, and he would read people's minds, do all these, uh, tricks. He had, a uh, Glycon, the snake God wasn't like an idol or anything. It was really a giant snake that he wore like on his person and apparently had a, had hair and a face and could talk. And wow. Lucy and Lucy and the author goes through and explains how he did all of those things. um, and Lucian hates hates Alexander of Avenotatius very, very much. So my next series is going to be uh looking at that story and kind of taking like I did with the Maccabees, uh looking through Lucian's account of Alexander and uh sussing out what we can know and what we can't, or at least what I know and what I think I can. Mm. Um And I I hear how you're worried about that because Petri- It's not a war <laughs> necessarily. Yeah, it's not a war. It's not a war. Uh, that's, I'm, I think of it though, or how I'm framing it in my own head is like a 2000 year old war of reputations because, uh, Lucian, uh, is not as popular as he used to be for a lot of reasons, but, uh, more work of Lucian survives than almost any other ancient author. Uh, he's a very fascinating guy. I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about Lucian because I think he helps set the stage of the ancient world in a way that very few authors uh, from that time period do. He's very clear and like funny, even satiric- satirical. Um, but yeah, it's a, a long war of reputation. And I also have uh, a long-standing interest in magic. I just think it's cool, card tricks, stuff like that. Uh, and there's a huge overlap between like the secular community and the magic community, and then also the charlatan community and the religious community. Um, and I think that kind of connection between those four groups, uh, has a lot to say about humanity, um, and our relationship with, uh, you know, faith and, you know, what's the difference between believing something and being fooled and stuff like that. Can I, so let me ask you a question. Um, and if he's alive, I don't even know if he's alive, but. My professor who told me that history doesn't stop is going to scream at me if he hears this. But hmm. when do you think history stops? Because here's a thought I keep having. You could almost go up to yesterday with this thing. With your podcast, you could almost go up to, like, literally yesterday. Like no, there's ongoing religious <laughs> wars, <laughs> right? Uh, you know? Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, like that's, you know, history, uh, it, it's the idea of it stopping is like, well, when did time start? Uh, well, so like, when, when do you think, oh, that's too modern? Or do you think, oh, that's too modern? I, I don't, like, I want to do, I have another idea in the back of my head for uh, a series on uh, the Quebecois in Canada. Yes. Um, <laughs> that, that goes up to, I mean, it starts in the, you know, 16th and 17th centuries, but, uh, in the seventies, um, the nineteen seventies, that is, uh, the FLQ, which I'm sure this is all Greek to <laughs> Americans, but, uh, there was, there was, uh, people bombing parliament buildings in Quebec and kidnapping British officials. Uh, they were doing it for communism and whether you want to call that a religion or not, but it was certainly in response to the Catholic, uh, hold over French Canada. And again, again so, that's that's ongoing today, uh, not too far from where I'm sitting right now. Yeah. So let me ask um, a question. I went to Canada for a vacation a couple of few years ago now, and I am a Winnipeg Jets fan. Mm. But I went to Quebec, and I noticed something, and I never got to the bottom of. Right, while I was there. If somebody saw me with my hat on, my Jets hat on, right, they automatically assumed, A, I was Canadian, yeah. B, I spoke English. And so they decided to not pay attention to me when I was talking in English. But as soon as I said, I'm an American, it was a different story. It was like, oh, you're an American. Oh, Great. Yeah, yeah uh, the Quebecois, I mean, this is a lot of generalizations, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. the Quebecois like Americans typically, uh, and do not like Anglophile Canadians. Um, mm. Americans in Quebec have like a long standing, uh, connection to one another. There was a rebellion in Canada in 1838 that was kind of central around Quebec, and it was, it was very American in its tone. It's, uh, you, you know, it's almost, they almost like copied uh, the Declaration of Independence and stuff. So there's a long-standing connection between mm. the Quebecois and Americans. And I mean, like the uh, Acadians are descended from Quebecers and all this kind of stuff in New Orleans mm. stuff. For the three, for the people who don't know, the the, uh, the Acadians go down to Louisiana. Yes, from Quebec. Right. Okay. Yeah, I I just Um, wanted to be clear on that. Yeah, so like, uh, so it may, it would make sense to me that (laughs) they wouldn't, they wouldn't think twice, like, about you at all if you're wearing your Jets hat, because why are you a Jets fan? (laughs) That's very strange. It wasn't that they weren't thinking about me at all. It was that they were actively ignoring Disdain, me. Yeah, that was, I was being polite. They're assholes. Pardon my language. But uh, they why, can be very why rude. Am I, why am I a Jets fan? Yeah, how'd that happen? The Jets used to be the Thrashers. Oh, of course. I'm so silly. Didn't even... <laughs> I only needed to yeah. think for a second I would have realized. The Thrashers were and are my favorite team. Okay. So the Jets are my favorite team. 
So, that makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense now. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hockey is the best sport there is. Yeah. Um, yeah. See? Right. See? If if I don't watch it, I could turn this whole podcast I could turn this whole podcast channel into I like hockey and <laughs> three people would listen and I wouldn't care. <laughs> three people would listen, they'd all be in Canada. <laughs> and they'd all be in Manitoba. But I wouldn't I yeah, don't you probably you'd probably get some French people in there. <laughs> hey, I listen well, to this guy, he's an uh, American, but he likes the <laughs> hockey, he's not so bad, eh? You know, when I put this thing on the internet uh, almost two years ago now, um, I, I say this on Twitter um, a lot. I'm shocked that anybody other than my mother, father, and baby sister and two best friends listen to it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's we were talking you know, off air. Right, it, the same yeah. reaction where I just yeah, uh, I'm a, very pleased to shock. see people listening. It's a you know. Um, but, yeah. So thank you for the, at least your understanding of why people were actively ignoring me in my, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but. Yeah, well, it's uh, the, the Quebecois and my relationship to Quebec, because we have to learn French in school, and I hated it so much, and therefore hated Quebec <laughs> growing up. Um, and then I went to Quebec and uh, hated it more because people were very rude. <laughs> Um, but much like my kind of in, initial antipathy toward religion, as I've gotten a bit older, a bit more wise and mature, I've actually done some reading about Quebec, and it's a it's a fascinating place. It's a very interesting, uh, bloody, horrible colonial history, and I can kind of understand why they don't like Anglophiles so much. <laughs> well, I remember, first of all, when I went up there, you know, the the history of it, the history of the place, just it's just amazing. Like I, I live in a, I live in a very new town, like a very new city. So anytime I can see something that's 500 years old, mm. like that's a restaurant that's 500 years old, I'm like, wow. Like we don't have that at all. That does not compute. It, it's in <laughs> it's uh in Canada. Quebec is kind of one of the only places that like appreciates its own history like toronto feels very new toronto kind of everywhere yeah. looks like it was just you know just bulldozed and paved but uh quebec is still yeah. quaint in a lot of uh very yeah. european especially especially quebec city uh way up north uh there is it, like it if you just took a picture of it you would think you're in some suburb of you know paris or berlin or something like that yeah Yes, that's the that's the truth. And it was um, what I thought was sort of interesting was how compact Montreal was. Like it was very compact, and and I guess when you're when you live somewhere that's not, I call it L.A. without a beach. Like mm. I call Atlanta L.A. without a beach. So in a rainforest, but <laughs> yeah, Colombian rainforest. But yeah, so um, hey, I just want to correct myself. You know, I was talking about old things in Canada, uh, in yeah. Peterborough, Ontario, which is you know it's like an hour outside of Toronto. Um, mm-hmm. there is 
mounds, burial mounds built by indigenous people mm-hmm. that are uh, as old or older than the pyramids. Yes, and that's true here too. We have um right right not near me, but in the same you know, census area. Basically, mm-hmm. we have the Etowah Indian mounds. And that's old is the I mean, literally, it's old, 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 old. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's fat. It was fascinating to go to as a kid. And even as an older person, it's very interesting. That's, that's another, uh, yeah, that's the another Native series. Mountains. Yeah. Series I have in mind is, uh, in, uh, yeah. Tecumseh and his brother Tenskwatawa. That, Do uh, that. That's uh, it's. I want to. I want to get a few more under my belt because that one's going to be a very big. Uh, that might be a six-parter. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing I learned from doing. If you go, if you scroll down far enough, you'll see it. The the history deep dive into the Spanish flu, right? The thing I learned is that um, you can start. I mean, there's always today. There's always the first step. You know? Oh yeah. Well, I, that's like uh, the other th- like I, I'm reading. <laughs> got I got a few books on the go that are all all in service of the show now. Mm. Mm. So what's like a religious war that you really want to cover? Uh, well, like uh, that the, originally when I got the idea to do a history podcast, I wanted to cover. The, like, the idea I had was the War of 1812, um, because mm. I find that conflict endlessly fascinating. Um, but as I got thinking a bit more, I had the idea for the religious wars as a show and that kind of milieu. And 1812 doesn't really fit as a religious war. However, uh, I was reading, um, it's a book called, uh, Convulse States. I can't remember the author's name right now, but, uh, in there, and it's, it's about, uh, the 1811 earthquake in the kind of Mississippi, central St. Louis, that part of the United States, um, mm-hmm. that was very devastating. And in there, he's quoting, the author's quoting another historian, but talks about the ongoing conflicts throughout the early 19th century. And well, I mean, really, since it, uh, Americans or Europeans arrived in the New World. That conflict going on, he calls it a American holy war over against the natives, and just the idea of American jihad, um, mm. kind of kind of culminating after the War of eighteen twelve, has been uh, a religious war kind of sort of uh, that I've mm. had it in the back of my head for like you know, almost two two years now probably. So that's mm. something uh, I really want to cover. I also definitely want to do a bit more of what you would think of when you hear religious wars. Like there's, I want to go through the Crusades. Uh, I want to go through some of the Christianization efforts over the, throughout Europe. Uh, there's a, there's like, I mean, there's a lot of this stuff all throughout history, right? Yeah, um, I mean, I. I mean, just the title, Religious Wars, I could think immediately of, like, God. <laughs> just, like, the Reformation. Right. Like, uh, 
and what's your take? Like, what's this person's take on it versus that take on it and, and this and that? I mean, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, that's like, uh, I do think I'm going to, I I don't know, like, it's new enough that I don't really know my audience too, too well yet, but uh, I'm a little worried that I'm going to stretch the definition of both, you know, religious and war pretty thin throughout the show. But uh, I think there's the idea of like a spiritual conflict is kind of uh, the center or the heart of yeah. almost any kind of war or almost anything does. Like, like what's uh, I don't know if you're a Game of Thrones fan, but George R. R. Martin <laughs> said sometime, sometime like uh, the only thing worth writing about is the human heart in conflict with itself. And uh, I mean, religious wars is so much of that. <laughs> am I a Game of Thrones fan? <laughs> the reason this whole thing started is because I did a blog on uh, Game of Thrones. I had a humorous movie blog on Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. And it went it went viral. Um, the Winnipeg Jets staff, uh, broadcast staff, actually uh, found it. <laughs> Oh wow! Yeah, oh, that's and, awesome. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, I'll tell you a, f- a couple funny stories about that off air. But um, anyway, yeah, no, I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan, and I was even before I realized that it's actually a retelling of of uh, the I think the the War of the Roses. It's like the, the War of the Roses with the Yorts and the Lancasters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was blanking on the name of the other party, but <laughs> I was blanking on who weren't the Yorks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just want to say Lannister. It sounds so much better. <laughs> it, uh, well, my goal with this show is to just, with the, with each episode, is to literally throw it on the internet. So, like, render it in the audio and just immediately just, here you go, kids. Here's some content for you. Mm. <laughs> but I didn't want to flub anything, so. Eh. I don't know. Um, and I think we live in this amazing time that you can have this. You say you're not a history educator, but you are. <laughs> like. No, I, what did I know about the Maccabees before? I mean, I knew about them, but I didn't know about them. You know? I appreciate that. Uh, you know, I'd say I like yeah, no. that's something I regret not doing is, uh, and I didn't really think about it until I was all done is like putting together a source list. Um, say we'll I'll absolutely do from going forward, but that's like anything I learned, yeah. I learned or you learned from me, I should say, is something I picked up from. You know, John D. Granger or Dr. Henry Abramson or Professor Daniel Schwartz. There's a lot of guys who I, uh, been cribbing off of. Uh, you know, I, I can't even read. Yeah. So I'm kind of useless, uh, for these stories if it weren't for, you know, standing on the shoulders of these guys. I wonder if how the Google Pixel is gonna, you know, do that, like translating. Yeah, I, it definitely yeah. seems like uh that's uh that's something coming. Yeah, well and it'd be it'd be interesting like uh you know, they think there's something like seventy five thousand cuneiform tablets that have just yet to be read because they're still going through what they have now, you know. Jeez. And I imagine AI could 
read some of that, like, or whatever, you know, language. Yeah, something. Jesus, man, that's amazing. Yeah, think about what we don't know. Uh, I'm sure most of it is yeah. completely useless to us. It's usually like who owed what amount of wheat to who, but. Well, it's like I say with my podcast. I mean, to me, it's not the one episode or the two. It's the whole thing. Mm. Like to me, like this whole podcast is a portrait of how a society is existing or how a planet is existing in a pandemic. Yeah. And a lot of us, like there's a, like here's something that I learned um, through my podcast is 2020. So 2020 was the year that a lot of people, maybe nobody on this call or this Skype, but a lot of people, um, came into the thought that a computer is not a toy. It's mm. a tool. Like, and I have a lot of people tell me that, um, I have a Skype account, but like I have a Skype account, but I never used it before now. Right. Yeah, uh, you know what I'm saying. Like, I used it when I was a child, but not now. That's uh, like in the journalism world. I was freelance pretty well always, so I already had Zoom. Like that's how we did our editorial meetings and stuff for publications I worked for. So the whole working from home thing, and your computer being, you know, the center of your office and the center of your social life, was already a reality for a lot of uh, working journalists and you know typically we're a social shut-ins anyway so uh it's not like i don't want to underplay the pandemic in any way but i do feel like uh right uh, background kind of let me hit the ground running a little bit well i mean i mean that was why i pivoted because i did a deep dive and i was going to do that i would have been happy doing a deep dive in the whatever else. I'd even done a promo that I'd released that I was going to do the Enlightenment next. Mm. And I've never gotten around to that because I realized it through promotion that oh god, these stories are incredible. Like the stories just from the down, like just from shutting off and then talking to me about what their life is like. You know, just while we download the file mm. is like that's the episode, kids. Like, that's what... You, know. you definitely have a very... I don't want to say journalistic vibe to the show now, but it is... There's a there's a journal... Like, almost like a chronicling, a bit more than journalism, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's like, I, I mean, I, you know, I'm, that was my work for a long time. I definitely... I really appreciate what you're doing. I think it's pretty cool. Well, what do you mean chronicling, though? Like, um... Like having uh, like having people coming on and tell their stories, um, yeah. like kind of in their own words, in their own voice, for their own sake, um, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. Uh, just like a value into it of itself. But then also you, uh, 
do it in such a yeah. way that is, uh, you know, pleasurable to listen to and also like illuminating on, uh, on uh, certainly about your guests, but usually about broader topics, but whatever you're talking about. Well, like, I'll give you an example. Um, the why I like this format that I have. So, there was a podcaster whose name I'm not going to say, but it was actually one of my favorite episodes. Okay. Off air, he told me some wacky stories about being a teacher. You know? And I kept hearing like similar stories from podcasters because there's a lot of podcasters who are also who are teachers in their day job. Mm-hmm. So I kept hearing similar stories and I'm thinking, so I can't bring him on because he's already, I burned him as a, as he can't be anonymous, right? Cause mm-hmm. he's already here, but I'll guarantee you there's other people. So I, I'm really proud of, I've got, I've got one of them up and I'm going to put another one out as soon as we get off, but um, these anonymous teacher talks where they just tell you what's happened in their classroom, mm-hmm. in their school. It's just like some of these stories are just like, Jesus. Like there's the act, you know, the, there's the thing people joke about where like my kid is precious, but your kid is evil and a booger monster. Well, yeah, <laughs> You know, you know, your kid is somebody else. Your kid is not their kids. So it's, it's, you know, it's just crazy. <laughs> Some of these stories. Yeah. Uh, the entire world of education is so, you know, fraught with uh, mm. opportunities to just piss everybody off because you're, uh, you're, mm. you're, you know, a parental figure for these kids for a third of their day. Uh, mm. And that's mm. going to, you know, anybody who has step parents or uh, knows people with step parents knows that parenting styles can clash. But the difference here is people feel entitled to tell teachers how to behave because, you know, a bunch of reasons, right? Right. But I mean, I was even just talking about how, like somebody talked about how um the I don't even remember if this was an anonymous teacher or just a podcaster, but somebody had this story about how like the 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 school or the parents were using the school as like a a babysitting service, basically, oh yeah, and Not largely what like, it is in the industrial world, right <laughs> well. Everybody's got to work. Yeah. Well, here's the funny part. You know, I mean, I can remember learning about viruses in biology class. You know, and I never thought, <laughs> I never thought until March 20, until March 14th, 2020, that I'd really have to care about a virus. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you're just like reading about ancient plagues with kind of a passing interest and now it's all a bit more like what do, what do these people do can i learn anything here well the funny the fun the crazy is like so i did a deep dive into the spanish flu mm-hmm. right and when you read the 
like the preface to these books that were published in 2010 or 2000. They're like, yes, we're much more technologically literate than people were in 1918. We would never do blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you what, son. People in 1918, I think they were better prepared than we are because they could they could check out. They could go on a farm. They could go to a farm. They, you know, well, and like goods weren't distributed in, through 30,000 different hands and stuff, right? Exactly. I do think, exactly. though, that COVID in particular, like the advent of medical technology, um, is like the underlying story to this whole thing because it should be much worse. And I think even 20 years ago, it would have been much worse than it is now. Uh, like in the early stage of the pandemic, a lot more people were dropping dead because they didn't know what to do. They, they, the doctors had to figure it out, you know, and that like, I don't know, you'd probably know better than me where we rank with like uh, fatalities versus the size of the population versus the Spanish flu. But like, well, a hundred year old medical technology, I imagine it was much harder to fix if you did get it. You know, they, there were no ventilators to go on. Well, here's what I would say about COVID. And this catchphrase occurred to me yesterday, and I'm sorry to say the word catchphrase, but that's what it is. So I've talked to a whole lot of people about their COVID experience, like a whole lot. Mm. Um, so I think COVID's going to go down like this. When we decide COVID is over, I think COVID's going to go down like this. So COVID-19 is a disease of the, like, the circulatory system. Mm. And also with, like, the lungs and all that. So if your dad gets it, so essentially we're not the same age, but essentially we're in the same age. So, like, if your dad gets it, your dad died of COVID. If your dad gets it and died, your dad died of COVID. If your 32-year-old wife gets it, your wife died of a heart attack. Oh, uh, yeah. So, here's the deal, right? There's a lot of people I talk to. My neighbor had a stroke. You know, so-and-so had a heart attack. You know, mama, <laughs> you know. And they're walking around thinking that's not COVID. And it might not be. I don't know. But we live in the time of COVID. so I have to wonder if, like, during the Great Death or, you know, the Justinian Plague, (laughs) if there were people walking around saying that, like, no, 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 you didn't, you didn't get that disease. You got another disease because you prayed wrong or whatever, you know, there yes. must be that. But. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. What were you going to say? Oh, nothing. Just uh, curious. Yeah. Now, now, now I've got, some, now I'm going to send myself down a little Google, Google rabbit hole <laughs> again about, uh, yeah. irrational responses to the the pandemic is even i mean that's the like when I, we're talking about religious wars as a kind of in my opinion i kind of box myself in a little but uh i'd argue that the response to the kind of conspiratorial response to the pandemic isn't strictly speaking religious 
But the Venn diagram of hardcore religious people and hardcore COVID nuts is almost a circle, right? Like the, there's there's definitely something relate like something related in those things. I see. See, here's what I, in the U.S. and I, I hear what you're saying, but it's a little more complicated than that. Because, definitely, yeah. Because. Like, you'll have people that they're like, they remember polio. Like, they, they remember their older brothers or older right. sisters talking about it or even getting it. So they're, they're all about, let's go get a shot or let's go get a vaccine or whatever. But you have like some other people younger than me, younger, about, you know, your age or younger. They're like, no, no, I'm, I'm good to go. I'll just lift weights or, or drink orange juice, or whatever mm. they think, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I think, at least in my country, at least in the U.S., I think a lot of this is, and it wasn't that the education wasn't available, because I'm, I'm a product of public schools. It was that people didn't pay attention. Mm. That's what it was. It was honestly that people didn't pay attention in school. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's what it's uh again like uh you know, we're not going to we're not going to crack the nut of the American response, like public response to COVID uh cuz like mm. more than multifaceted for however many people there are uh, who, who think this way, they're, they have their unique reasons for thinking this way, right? My favorite species, honestly, the, the, the species that I, I can't wrap my head around is the one where it's like, I think COVID's real, it is killing people, but I'm not gonna wear a mask. I yeah. can't understand, I can't understand that. I mean, frankly, I understand none of it, <laughs> but, uh, I, yeah, it's, 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 the response has been interesting just because it's changed so much. Like, mm. like the, the people who believe COVID's real and, and is, and is killing people, but who don't want to wear masks and don't want vaccines. I feel like those are the same people who six months ago were saying this is just a bad flu season and stuff, you know? Well, I get the people that think it's a bad flu because of Google Ads. So, because I'm a podcaster and because I'm on Google Ads, I know a little bit more about Google auctions than the average person, okay? Mm. I get, like, you think it's a flu because of your Google auction. What I don't get is, like, you think it's killing people, you think it's serious, you have a vaccine, but you're not wearing, like, I don't get that. Who knows? Just, yeah. <laughs> eh, people, humans, humans are complex. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, yeah. I definitely don't understand it. I, uh, my favorite type yeah. of, my favorite type of, you know, guy usually, um, oh. in, the, in the vaccine world is, uh, people who just like, don't, don't refuse the vaccine. And if you, and they refuse it on the basis of they, they've been reading the science. Which I wouldn't even know where to begin to look for the science, you know. And then uh, the idea that 
you're just like you, you don't you know that Big Farm is evil? And how how could you trust these people? You need to take you can't take these Pfizer vaccines. That's Big Pharma. You need to take hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin made by Merck. They're the good Big Pharma. It's just it's very confusing. Well, the problem I, I've never gone to school in Canada. The problem in this country is that our education system teaches us to to look at two sides of an issue, even if there aren't two sides mm. of an issue. So teach the controversy, right? Automatically in the U.S., you're going to get people looking for another side. That's automatic. Yeah. You know. I mean, hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, Canada, we're not much better, right? Like, we just had, you know, two solid weeks the, of the the trucker, yeah, the the, right. the trucker. So, okay. Oh God, I want to talk about that so bad because you're there. <laughs> I, I got I a little bit of time. I'm down for a bit. This is what I love about my show. I can talk about whatever I want. It goes wherever it goes, yeah. Because guess what, kids? It'll be history tomorrow. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Trudeau invoked the emergency <laughs> response act. That's the first time. It's for sure in the history books now, you know? All right, so wait a minute. Um, For, like, the seven people that don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> um, Right. So in Canada, there has been a large protest in response to the vaccine mandate the protest is was ostensibly organized by truckers these truckers pulled their big rigs into ottawa the nation's capital clogged the streets and basically just had a kind of a street party going on for a bit more than a week and it seems like today it's kind of all wrapping up as as we're speaking even mm. yeah. but uh and it yeah, was around. It was around masking mandates or vaccine mandates or what right, so it? the this it doesn't make any sense on its face, kind of. And like I don't necessarily like a lot of like liberals. And I'm a pretty liberal fella, but like a lot of people are poo pooing the protest and it's American funded terrorists and all this stuff. Um, but like I'm not willing to dismiss it that easily. Like I think there's a lot of reasonable. Uh, reasons to protest protest the Trudeau administration's handling of the pandemic, but they're uh, originally were protesting vaccine mandates for truckers, and truckers already had to be vaccinated to get into the United States. So it's this weird, you know, doesn't make it doesn't make perfect sense on how it started, but it kind of ballooned from this trucker thing into a much larger protest about. Kind of everything that has to do with COVID, and a lot of it was just about Justin Trudeau in the past. You know, the, uh, the general the general frustration of, of, I mean, the COVID. So, from what I understand from my other Canadian guests, the uh, your COVID lockdown is pretty. Uh, I guess I would use the word Byzantine. Yeah, I the way I the way I think about it is we got the worst of both worlds in terms of because in the, from the united states from my perspective you guys basically didn't do shit pardon my language yeah. um but uh Again, not safe for work yeah uh 
<laughs> yeah, you guys barely did anything, um, except politely ask people yeah. to wear masks, and most of the time didn't even do that. But in Canada, we just shut down everything that makes life worth living and made sure you went to work. And then everybody got sick when you... So everybody still got sick. We're doing a bit better than you guys, but, like, you know, literally the highest, like, lowest bar in the world. Uh, that's a big problem for Canadians, by the way, just in general and in our politics, that, like, our healthcare system can be bad. But so long as we got free healthcare and the Americans don't, God... Gosh darn, it's just a huge source of Canadian pride. And COVID's kind of the same way, where we're one of the worst countries in the world, but we're not as bad as the United States. So are we really doing anything wrong? Everything's great. So when you say the healthcare system is bad, what do you mean the healthcare system is bad? It's not bad necessarily, um, it, but it's, it's it's slow. It has It has its problems. And just compared to like almost any other country in the world, that isn't the United States, any of the other, you know, Western European countries, and frankly, a lot of Asian countries too. Our healthcare system has pros and cons, but like very long wait times, uh, extremely expensive compared to a lot of other places, um, all this kind of stuff. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for the American system in a second. I would never do that. No, no Canadian would, except a handful of. Uh, Probably people at the protests right now, but so long as we can be a bit, so long as we can be a bit better, like as long as infant mortality remains lower and stuff like that, we're always going to be like, well, yeah, I mean, sure, sure, I had to wait six months to get an MRI, but can you can you imagine if I had to pay eleven thousand dollars for it? Those crazy people, you know. Um. So we were talking about the truckers. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, and they're. uh, they're protesting like vaccine mandates and then kind of it just turned into a pro freedom party Mm -hmm. more than anything. And it's like the one thing like needs to be said about it for all of the, uh, the kind of like hero worship for these truckers in some parts of the world and then all the demonization in other parts. Um, I think it's a pretty stupid protest by and large, but it has also been, like very effective in some way. I don't exactly know if it was the way they wanted, but it's been effective and been incredibly peaceful. Uh, well, the thing I was like, this is two weeks. Yeah. You wouldn't, this would not happen two weeks in this country. No, no, it wouldn't. No. It, uh, it no. also, if I think, uh, I mean, this has been beat to death. Um, as a talking point over here in Canada, but I think if the uh, demographic or even ideological makeup of the crowd was a bit different, it wouldn't have lasted as long as it did. And I like, I think like, like the Ottawa police wanted nothing to do with it. I also think a lot of police are a lot more sympathetic to the protests, so they didn't really want to crack down on it. And we're just kind of straight up disobeying mm-hmm. injunctions and stuff like that. That I if, think uh, I read, yeah. I think, I think I read it's, somewhere. No, go ahead. I mean, uh, there's another ongoing protest in Canada right now in British Columbia in a place called Wasuetan. Um, which actually, you, you'd something you'd probably want to look into. It's very interesting. Um, okay. <laughs> but, uh, there was a big three or four months ago. Um, there, the protesters there are kind of encamped in the woods because they're trying to stop this pipeline 
um, from being built. And oh. the, the RCMP in that protest is literally taking axes down to doors and with dogs, kicking them in, arresting journalists, pepper spraying people. There's uh, stories of like a, I'm pretty sure a video, I'm not sure. Like I don't have it off hand, but like a woman getting pepper sprayed in the crotch, all just like horrific treatment of protest, but that's a, uh, that's a that's a native native cause and typically has a lot less support throughout the rest of the country. One thing, one thing I've noticed, and this will probably be the second edit. One thing I've noticed is that so I'm a Jets fan, mm-hmm. and Dustin Bufflin and Evander Kane used to get really harsh treatment online mm-hmm. from other Jets fans in a way that that wouldn't happen in America. Yeah. Like, that wouldn't happen like that. So, yes, America has its problems with race relations, etc., but nothing, I mean, you know. I, for, like, uh, the, the, like, Canada and our relationship our was it like uh the Canadian relationship with uh black people in particular is I, I it, it, America like it we almost have the healthcare problem where mm-hmm. uh there's not quite the vicious police racism it exists in Canada but it's not quite as bad so we get to laugh at how racist Americans are um but like you say, if you scratch an inch beneath the surface, it's all there. And then our in Canada, the group that is like, uh, mm. I mean, like I've made this comparison before to friends in conversation that like, I do think that in America, the the reaction to like black people is unique and crazy. And in Canada, we have that, but it's with natives. Uh People who can mm. be seem like completely normal people, and then you start talking about natives, and they just are monsters. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um. Why don't we? We've been at oh, this hour and a half. Yeah, we've been going. Why don't we? <laughs> why don't we uh, wrap this up? Yeah, for sure. This is a lot so of fun. Can, so let's um, wrap this up. I want to thank you for reaching out to me uh, for real, Eric. Um, so why don't you give us the, the elevator pitch for your show? Um, well, it's religious wars. It's, uh, touches on a lot of the stuff we, we talked about throughout this episode. If you liked it, uh, uh, you want to check it out, I recommend going to religiouswarspodcast.com or searching in any of your, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, yeah. That's uh, that's all I got. And the next series will be coming out um, as soon as I can get it out, basically. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Uh, hang on the line. And as always, folks, I'm having a good day, and I hope you are too. All right. Hang on just a second. <laughs>